Hi, I'm Avery Thatcher, and I believe that we can't solve a problem with the same mindset that created it. That's why on this podcast, we combine ancient, Vedic, and Taoist wisdom with our modern lifestyle and latest research to show high achievers like you how to recover your energy and optimize your habits so you can elevate your impact and prevent an epic burnout experience. Because burnout's a bitch and hindsight's an asshole, so rather than let them win, let's dig into the truth about burnout. All right, welcome back, everybody. I have another beautiful guest to come on and share his story today. His name is Tony, and he has such a powerful story of second chances and overcoming significant struggles. So I'm very excited for him to be here and to share vulnerably with us. So thank you, Tony, for joining. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Oh, anytime. I'm very much looking forward to speaking with you. And I just really enjoy hearing from other people that have also been through significant struggle because I think we all feel very much alone when we're in it. And it's very hard for us, especially as highly sensitive people, to know who to reach out to because we've always been everybody's rock. We don't know how to allow somebody else to be a rock for us. So hearing other people's stories can be a really powerful experience. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what kind of brought you to that moment where you knew that something had to change? I guess start from when I, I enlisted in the military in the Marine Corps, uh, when I was 17, I shipped off when I was 18, did four years there. I served in, it was, it was, I was in during nine 11, uh, but it was, I was towards the end of my contract and they shipped me off to Cuba. And that's where we, we handled the detainees that were coming off from. We had just invaded Afghanistan, and uh, they were shipping the detainees to Cuba, and we were there to to see and the usher in the first wave, first few waves of detainees. I got out of the Marine Corps and and just kind of floated around a bit. I knew what I wanted to do. I just wasn't being proactive in how to get to where I wanted to be. But um, yeah, that's. Uh, it's kind of the gist of things. Uh, I, I think I had this thing. I suffered. I still do suffer from anxiety, and it's it can be crippling at times. And uh, luckily, I've I've been through a few anxiety clinics where I'm able to notice triggers or notice when when I'm getting uncomfortable in a situation. A lot of things helped with that, like exposure therapy was one of the things that helped me with it. It could be scary, but it 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 helped a lot. And now uh, I'm in Los Angeles. I work in the film industry and happy to say that I've got a decent career going for me. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. So bringing things back to after you had left the military, I can't imagine what that was like and what you went through in those. And so we won't dive into those experiences unless you want to share, of course. But what did it feel like after you had left the military? Uh, It felt odd because there is such a rigid, structured environment, the military. And going in there, you know, you're, I'm just a kid when I first go in, getting out, it's, you, you expect life to be that way, but there was two different culture shocks, uh, one when I got out of the military and one when I got in. I, but I feel like the culture shock when I got out was more of an actual shock 
then kind of like going into the military is more of like a confirmation shock, you know, but getting out was, was, was more of a shock because I, I, I expected like this uh, rigidness and it's just people living their lives, you know, people going to work and, and uh, not liking their jobs or liking their jobs. And, but just, you know, not that intense military uh, Marine Corps mindset of I have to be the best at this job and I got to do it now. And I have to, if I don't get done right away, something's going to happen. And, you know, that's that, that type of thing. Absolutely. So that kind of mindset, I think, would induce anxiety for some people just to have that kind of pressure on. Mm-hmm. So what did that, like, what was that experience like for you as somebody that identifies as being highly sensitive? So, I mean, I put a lot of pressure, put a lot of pressure on myself, a lot of unneeded pressure. Sometimes I think it still lingers, but that's, that's the, the life we chose, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it just, just thinking about like, yeah, I, I have this joke that I still tell sometimes and and I had to realize that it really affected me. I had to change my approach. Uh, the joke was like we're on set and people make a mistake and to kind of give someone a hard time, I would say, you know what happens when you make a mistake in the Marine Corps? People die. And uh, mm-hmm. I realized that that might have been too harsh a joke or, or pe- people kind of get shocked when I say that. And, and in hindsight, it's like, Man, that's the kind of pressure I was putting myself under all these years and not even knowing. I think being sensitive to that, you you really go through, if you really choose to do the work and work on like healing and and getting to the next phase of your life, it you really do a lot of uh searching inwardly and you think about like saying that joke it might be funny but somewhere psychologically there's it's a there's a deep-rooted thing of that fear of having that happen you know you just kind of kind of like reintegrating yourself to normalcy you know that makes sense Mm -hmm, absolutely so I, for one, am very familiar with dark humor. I used to be a nurse working in the ICU for both adults and kids. And we also had that same joke. If you make a mistake, somebody dies. And it's it's just this pressure that you put on yourselves. And I know that working in the ICU is not at all comparable to the military, but I think we all have different experiences where we can really feel that a deep rooted pressure. And then one of our coping mechanisms can be humor or dark humor. That's quite shocking for other people. It it is also, I want to circle back to something you said, uh, but working in the ER is quite difficult and quite respectable. Uh, It's, I don't see how I couldn't, I don't think I could do it. So I don't, you know, uh, I don't want you to place the military on some pedestal um, of of some sort, you know? Oh, yeah. Fair. And this is where I think the really important comparison, like we don't want to compare our experiences and traumas to others because it's like comparing apples to elephants. So the military experience is over here and very unique. And then the ICU Mm -hmm. emerge experience over here is also very unique, but there are those dark humor commonalities between some extra pressure. I think, I think the, the humor, the dark humor could help people cope with it. 
And I think it's a good coping mechanism, but also, you know, when, when that's all you've known and, and you realize the root or you search and you find the root of, of where that comes from, it does, mm -hmm. it is kind of anxiety inducing. And uh, I'm sure you could attest being working in the ER, just how on edge you, you have to be just to, just to do a good job, you know, and, yes. but your job is to be great, <laughs> you know? So do you think that like when you left the military, when you left that mm -hmm. pressured environment that was comfortable for you, did that bring on more anxiety or did it change things? Uh, no, it brought on, it brought on, I suffered from a lot of anxiety and it, it was, just, you know, and also I had like my brother pass mm. uh, shortly at like a couple years after I got out of the military. Uh, so there was like, there was like a little clump of time there where uh, everything was making life very real, very quick, you know, and when I got out of the military, I kind of became a rebel without a cause, you know, just nothing to fight for. I just didn't want to do anything. And I kind of just rebelled against that structure, that uh, rigidness and it, and it bled into my personal life and my civilian life and it, and it affected it greatly. And I coped with that by, you know, smoking a lot of weed um, that, you know, if you're suffering from anxiety, smoking weed probably isn't the best thing mm. for someone like me to do. Some people say it calms them, but I've never, it, it, I've never been, it, it's weird because it did calm me, but then I would get more paranoid and more anxious, you know? So it was kind of like, I would immediately get calm, but then all of a sudden, like I'm looking over my shoulder or I thought I saw something, you know, it wasn't. Yes. I can relate to that a lot. When my victim harm subtype of OCD showed up shortly after my illness changed everything about my life, my anxiety started going through the roof. And then when I tried things to help lower that anxiety through weed or THC pills or whatever, uh, I became so much more hypervigilant. It like triggered the stress response because now I'd gone too relaxed and my body's just like, what you doing? That's not safe. <laughs> so yeah, I can definitely relate to that for sure. So if that didn't really work, what did work for you? It's weird because going back to what you said, getting too relaxed, like biologically, I feel like we have to have some form of anxiety to kind of survive, mm -hmm. but we've entered this world of ultimate comfort. <laughs> so so I guess the things that did help me was getting in tune with that, like realizing we come from a history of ha having anxiety as a need to like anxiety. Does it really need to be with us anymore? And it's kind of doesn't know what to worry about. So your brain starts to worry about the smallest things or, or anything like that. But I guess to say what helped me, I had to get sober for a little bit to a point where I was clear-minded, not that I'm advocating for any soberness or 12-step program, but I I had to do it for just for the time that I needed to find my clear-headedness. Mm -hmm. And I had to do therapy, I had to do anxiety clinics, and I had to actually do what they were asking of me because I would do, I would go see a therapist and after that hour was done, I would forget about everything and go back to being myself and 
and not listening to the suggestions. And then I would go back and, you know, the therapist would say, why do you think you're still feeling the same way if you're not, <laughs> you're not doing the work I provide for you. But I think doing that work and really channeling your mind to focus on the, what might seem like the boring stuff, like journaling for 15, 20 minutes in the morning or, or going for that uh, mind clearing walk in the morning instead of journaling is not the thing, but really just getting in tune is, is what helped me. And it's a lot more easier said than done because it took years for me. And, and at the end of that, you realize you're never, you're not even, you know, healed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just cause you know, the anxiety is always there. Depression is always there. Stress is always there. You just learn like the tools to get you through you know, the next 15 minutes, the next hour, the next, you know, to get yourself to a calm state or to a state of realizing not that you're, you can calm yourself, but just getting yourself to a state of, for lack of a better term of being, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're in that moment and you're realizing what's happening and you understand that what's happening is this, is your brain telling you this, you know, and, and you're able to combat that with, you know, the tools you learned in, in a session or, or talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. I am so glad that you said that it's not a journey that like, tick, you're healed, bing, you're mm-hmm. done. Yeah. I really see the healing journey as building a house. And so you build the house as you're like into the healing space, but then you have to maintain that house if you want it to stay standing and stay strong. So all of these things that you were mentioning, the journaling, the walking, those are such great strategies and stuff that we talk about all the time here on this podcast. And it's those things that maintain your healed house for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I mean, it's always there. The anxiety is always there. It's just like, now you know how to better, now you better understand it. I, I think one of the things I still do that I learned in exposure therapy is I, I I used to have a lot of anxiety going into the grocery store. And uh, one of the things uh, the anxiety doctor told me, uh, one of the things you can do is back into back into your parking spot because I, I never did that just because I worried about the people behind me, what they were thinking and my wasting people's time, just trying to back into a spot. So now one of the things I do before I go to the grocery store when I park is I back into the spot. And as I'm backing into the spot, I'm just thinking about the exposure therapy. And I'm thinking about you see people waiting for you to back in and they're not they're not coming out of their car to bang on your hood to tell you you're wasting their time. So now you've got uh, now you're good to go. Now you could go shop for groceries. And now it, it's it, exposure therapy was very very, very helpful. Like one of the things they had me do was to ask strangers what time it was. And then, and then they had me like ask strangers sitting in their car parked on the side of the road, like knock on their window and ask what time it was. And then they had me hold my phone in my hand and ask people what time it was. You know, that was one of the most stressful things. I, I didn't realize how stressful it could be, but you know, the heart starts, starts pounding when you're getting ready to do it. You're going to, it's just personally, I think I'm an idiot. I'm holding my cell phone in my hand and, you know, 
Yeah, it's it, it was it, it, it it's definitely helpful. I agree. Uh, the exposure therapy that I went through really helped me learn to trust myself again. Mm. Yeah. To know that even if more shit comes down the tube, I can trust myself to figure it out. And even in scenarios that do trigger a ton of anxiety, I can still trust myself to at least keep the panic attack until I can go into the car. <laughs> right? Like sometimes that's the win is to be able to keep the anxiety attack at bay until it's safe. So, yeah. 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 Do you find yourself like when you're able to keep the panic attack at bay that sometimes it doesn't happen? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes for sure. I find though that my panic attacks go faster and like I don't experience them mm -hmm. as much when I just let them do their thing. But that's for me. I know sometimes I can make them stop, but other times it's just like, oh, just get it over with. <laughs> yeah. I preventulate in the car for a little bit, feel like I'm going to die. And then I come back to life and everything's fine. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So let's. Let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing now and how all of these skills have brought you into your wonderful space. When I got out of the military, I started to pursue acting. I went to, the, to college and studied Shakespeare and, and all of that. This was in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a job as an extra on this film called The Alamo. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And and they dressed you up as like a Mexican soldier and they bust us to the set. And I, we got off as soon as we got off the bus, the location was right there. And it was the entire town of San Antonio uh, from the 1860s. And uh, I remember getting off the bus and seeing this farm to my right. And it was way in the corner of town. And you knew just by stepping off, you knew that it was never going to be in the film. You know, it was just so far away. It was just for background. But then I looked at the detail of the farm and it had places that, you know, uh, that dropped the seeds. It had uh, tools leaning against the leaning against the house. And it was beautiful. And, it, and that just that just made me realize I don't I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to be behind the camera. I wanted to work behind the scenes. And ever since then, yeah, I've, I've been pursuing a career behind the scenes and or behind the camera. Moved out to LA 2013 and uh, I've been here ever since and I've been working on great productions. I've made several short films of my own and I've written several screenplays and, and I've been working in the industry. I've worked on shows like Star Trek and several other like Apple TV shows and, and I've worked on music videos with huge uh, musicians and it's been quite the journey for me it's been fun it sounds fun so tell me a little bit about your film midnight oh midnight so midnight is a story about a, a, a woman whose brother had died of an overdose she wants to take revenge on the the drug dealer that sold her brother the the drugs but really what that story is about is about a, a woman learning to come to terms with her grieving of losing her brother and and learning to accept help in the form of the brother's girlfriend who survived who was also a recovering addict but she has been sober but the sister doesn't see her as a sober woman she sees her as like the junkie girlfriend mm. that you know her brother was dating so it really is uh someone coming to grips with someone coming to terms with the the cards 
life has dealt them and learning to accept that. So where can we watch this? Because I know what my Friday night plans are. <laughs> well, it's a it's a 15 minute short film. So hopefully you have other plans after. Well, I'm sure it'll <laughs> prompt some discussion with the group that I want to watch this with. So Okay, sure. Um, so I can send you a Vimeo link. Uh, I was I haven't uploaded it on the Facebook or YouTube yet, but it's on Vimeo. I can definitely shoot you over an email link and you can you could post that link when you post the uh podcast up or whatever but there's no it's not it's not password protected anymore i don't think yeah yeah it's on vimeo short answer that sounds great yes we'll definitely link that below in the show notes i think a lot of our listeners would be really into that because we talk a lot about covert grief and coming to understand our grief through different aspects of life and the opioid epidemic is pervasive so i think that can relate to so many people yeah. Yeah. The film is titled after a fictional drug called Midnight. Uh, it's, 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 of course, you know, supposed to model. A, you don't see the brother. You don't. By the time the movie starts, the the, the brother's already dead. Mm-hmm. I'll let you watch it. I don't want to. <laughs> don't. Spoiler <laughs> alert here. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the film. That's why I felt comfortable. Saying yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just teasing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be interested to know what you think of it. Definitely. Yeah, I imagine that we'll stay in contact and I'm sure we'll have space for you to come back on again to continue to, to talk. Yeah, so thank you so much, Tony. Is there anything that you'd like to just leave with the audience before we let you go? It's the journey and not the arrival that matters. And keep up the good work. It's it's going to seem like it's not working a lot more times than it seems like it is working. You do get through it and you do learn how to manage it. You do learn, you do, you can't, it's possible to learn how to recover and how to, how to use tools that you learned to help you along your journey. Thank you so much for that. That was so perfect. It gave me the chills. It was perfect. Exactly what I was hoping (laughs) for. So Thank you so much, Tony. I wish you all of the best and I imagine that we'll connect very soon. Absolutely. I can't wait. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you found this episode helpful, validating, and maybe you even got a few ideas to try yourself. If you did enjoy this episode, I just ask that you share it with someone that you think might also benefit from listening to this podcast. In doing this, you're not only helping those that you love, you're also helping me get this podcast into the hands of more people. Together, we can really make a difference. And before I let you go, do you know your default self-sabotage style? There are four main self-sabotage styles that ultimately lead to burnout, and knowing yours can make a really big difference in your ability to prevent burnout from taking over. Awareness is the first step and the second step. What you can do with this awareness of your default self-sabotage style, I will send you some ideas for what that second step could be after you complete your quiz results. So are you ready for this quick quiz? go to becomingavery.com slash quiz to try it out for yourself and take the first step on your intentional burnout recovery journey. Becomingavery.com slash quiz for that self-sabotage style assessment. That's it for now. See you next week.